Holy God, you have promised that your word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire and it will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So your sermon outline on page 9 in the bulletin, if you would turn there, please. I've marked verse 13 from our gospel reading. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And, and that is to say, God works through people. He always has. Now he could work through other means, angels. He could appear directly, but you would die of fright. So it is a mercy that he comes to us and works in us through others. That is to say, you don't baptize yourself. Baptism is something done to you. I suppose Jesus, being God, uh, baptism is God's work after all. He probably could have baptized himself, but then we would have gotten the, the kind of dim idea that we should baptize ourselves. But no, we are passive. God is active. He does the baptizing. He just may choose to do it, and he does it through others, through people. God always does. He feeds us, he clothes us through people, he forgives our sins through people, he baptizes us through someone else. That is to say, we cannot live the Christian life in isolation from others. And notice, verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now, notice, John tries to prevent Jesus from doing something. John evidently disagrees with how Jesus conducts his ministry. But John's not alone in that. Verse 14 in the outline, the lesson here is that we often think we know better than God. We know better how to run his church than he does. In Matthew 16, Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer, die, and to rise again. And what does Peter do? What does Peter say? Not so, Lord. This will never happen to you. He stands between Christ and the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind not the things of God, but the things of men. That's how we are. Now, if Jack Nicholas were to give you advice on how to improve your golf swing, would you argue with him? If Warren Buffett gave you advice on how to invest your money or where to invest your money, would you blow him off thinking that you know better than he? I don't think so. But we can do that with God. In his word, God speaks both warnings and blessings to us regarding human sexuality, regarding marriage, 
regarding the importance of our meeting together. But if not by word, then by our deeds, we nullify what he says, and we oppose his will. Verse 15 in your gospel reading, but Jesus answered John, let it be so now. I mean, it's almost as if he's saying, yeah, I really should baptize you, not you me, but let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, all righteousness. Now that's a curious phrase. What does it mean? What does all righteousness consist of? Well, in your outline, verse 15, in the Old Testament, God's righteousness often refers to his mighty acts of deliverance. When God acts righteously, he acts to save his people. Psalm 71, verse 2, the psalmist writes, In your righteousness deliver me and rescue me. Isaiah, in chapter 51, writes, My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone forth. God's righteousness equals his saving work. And so Jesus is saying to John, in effect, let it be so now to fulfill God's plan of salvation, God's redemptive work. And then verse 16 in your gospel reading, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Now, some people would argue that that is proof positive of immersion as a form of, a mode of baptism. There's nothing wrong with immersion, we accept that. Our font's not big enough for it, but immersion is fine. So is pouring, so is sprinkling. To apply water is what baptism means throughout scripture. But to come up out of the water does not necessarily imply immersion. And I, I would cite Acts chapter eight where the evangelist Philip is baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. And we read, they go down into the water and they both came up out of the water. Now, when they both came up out of the water, it's not saying that Philip immersed himself. It's saying that they were standing in the water and they came up on the bank, on the land once again. That's what it means. And so to read more into it is, and then to insist that your baptism has to be by immersion is to go beyond Scripture. And we don't want to do that. So, verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Now, it's not a dove but the Spirit is descending as a dove would and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Martin Luther makes the comment that the Old Testament says very little about the birth of Jesus, but it says a whole lot about his baptism. Now that's curious. How so? Well, the Old Testament is about the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One. 
Well, what's he anointed with? The Holy Spirit. That happens in his baptism, right? His baptism is his anointing with the Holy Spirit. That's his becoming the Messiah at that point, the anointed one. And so the entire Old Testament points forward to that time when the anointed one would come and deliver his people. So letter A under 16 in your outline, the Father anoints, the Son is anointed, and the Spirit is the anointing. All three persons of the Holy Trinity are involved in the baptism of our Lord. And in the same way, when you are baptized, all three persons of the Trinity are present and active in your baptism because you were baptized into the name, as singular, not names, but name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You come into fellowship with all three persons in your baptism. That is to say, Christian baptism is Trinitarian baptism. And letter B, the baptism of Jesus in water is spirit baptism. It is water and spirit. Unlike John's baptism per se, the baptism of Jesus now is both water and spirit. In the same way, Christian baptism in water is also spirit baptism. The scripture joins together water and spirit in one action. This is why Jesus said you must be born of water and spirit, speaking of one reality, water and spirit together. This is why Peter says on the day of Pentecost, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What God joins together, spirit and water, we dare not separate. Verse 17 in your outline, God approves of Jesus. God the Father says of him, this is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. Now that's significant because what God says here about Jesus, he never says of any other human being. God never said of you or me that he is well pleased with us. In the Old Testament, God called the nation of Israel his son. That's quite an honor. But God never said of Israel, with Israel I am well pleased. Far from it. Israel was God's disobedient son. And its disobedience was legendary. John the Baptist was part of Israel, and this is why John tried to prevent Jesus' baptism and said, I need to be baptized by you. John had it right, even though he was standing in the way of the Lord's salvation. Letter A, Jesus says, allow it now, John, for this is how God's righteous act of deliverance or salvation is enacted. I'm quoting one of our uh, Sam professors here, uh, Jeff Gibbs. The mighty one becomes lowly. The righteous one steps into the water where sinners are. And God says, this makes me really happy. This is the kind of son I have sent into the world. It's fitting. Why? 
because this looks like a cross. It looks like what Jesus will ultimately do at the cross. His baptism, being numbered with sinners in the waters of the Jordan, prefigures his being numbered with sinners at Calvary. It looks forward to that redemptive work. And letter B, Christian baptism is baptism into Christ. It is baptism into Christ. Paul writes in, in Romans 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That is to say, your baptism connects you to the death, the saving death of Jesus. You're baptized into that saving work. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Your baptism connects you to the burial of Christ. In order that, Paul writes, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Your baptism connects you to Christ's resurrection. In your baptism, Christ joins you to the whole of his saving work, you see. It connects you to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You can't become more righteous than that. And let her see, you are baptized into his body, into the body of Christ. By one spirit, Paul writes, we were all baptized into one body. When you're baptized, you're not only baptized into the membership of the congregation, you're baptized into the membership of the church universal, the body of Christ throughout the earth. He is the head of the body. And by virtue of your baptism into him, you are a member of that body of Jesus. So God's approval is not something we earn. It's something Jesus earns for us in his baptism. Because his baptism prefigures his cross. And having earned God's approval, Christ shares it with us. That same approval he shares with us by joining us to himself in baptism. Whatever God thinks of his son, he thinks of you because you are the body of his son. When God approves of Jesus, he approves of every part of Jesus and that includes you and me. St. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's what baptism accomplishes. In your baptism, you were clothed with Jesus. You can't get more pleasing to God than that. And when you see Jesus standing in the water, being baptized and receiving God's approval, I want you to see yourself joined there to him, receiving God's approval also, because in your baptism, you were joined to the one who alone pleases God. The words of approval God speaks to Jesus are intended for you as well. Christ's baptism is a picture of your own. And letter D, approval is really about Christ. God approves of you in Christ. He approves of you in Christ. And that phrase, in Christ, 
is Paul's favorite phrase. Throughout his epistles, all 13 epistles, Paul uses the term in Christ or in him, meaning in Christ, 165 times. It matters being in Christ. It matters because we live in a fallen world. The fear of failure and the fear of rejection haunt us. More than anything else, we want acceptance. We want to feel secure in our relationships. Paul, write in first, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam, in Adam now, as opposed to in Christ, in Adam all die. But in Christ, all will be made alive. To be in Adam is the opposite of being in Christ. To be in Adam is to be outside of Christ. To be in Adam is to be under God's condemnation. But in Christ, there's only God's smile, only God's approval. As children, we crave our parents' approval because we feel a little more secure in the relationship when we have it. When we're married, we want our spouse's approval because it makes us feel a little more secure in the marriage. All of us need this. All of us need approval. But sometimes others may choose to withhold it from us for whatever reason, usually a malevolent one. And we may withhold it from others as well. And our opinion of ourselves is massively influenced by the opinion of others. And that makes God's approval of us all the more important. At times we wonder what others think of us until we hear something good or bad related to us and then we know where we stand. It's no different with God. God has taken you out of Adam and he's placed you into his son Jesus so that regardless of what may happen tomorrow your relationship with God is secure because you are in Christ you may suffer the loss of your job the loss of your spouse your health or your reputation and all of us will at some point but none of those losses can nullify God's approval of you in Christ. In our gospel lesson for this morning, the father verbalizes his approval of his son Jesus. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Now those words are for you as well because you are in him. You are in Christ. You have been baptized into him who alone has God's approval. You are a bodily member of him whom God calls my beloved son. You are joined to him who stands in the water and with whom God is well pleased. And neither you nor I can get or be any better than that. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.